Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Room and Room podcast. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a veterinarian and nutritionist based with the PGG Rights and Seeds team here in Lincoln, Canterbury in New Zealand. So look, this latest podcast is part one of a two-part series that'll hopefully get some information out to those of you in flood-affected regions of uh, the North Island of New Zealand. Now, the context here is that it's been a simply awful summer for many of uh, those of you affected by ongoing rain. It just won't let up. And so with the recent um, cyclone that has affected particularly the North Island of New Zealand, we thought it would be timely to pull together some information for all of you affected by very wet Uh, not only pastures, but also forage crops. And in the case of this current podcast uh, that you're listening to now, more so around flood-affected supplementary feeds, uh, including but not limited to silage, baleage, hay and straw. But look, before we uh, carry on further, just a bit of a disclaimer around the fact that it's very, of course, challenging to provide specific recommendations about what you should do at your place with your flood damaged, in this case for this podcast, your supplementary feeds. And of course, as you'll appreciate, there's, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all uh, kind of set of advice. So yeah, just to re- really reiterate is that this is just generalised information uh, and suggestions. And of course, the information in this podcast is never intended to replace the advice of those people who are working alongside you on farm, part of your team, uh, whether that be your farm consultant, farm owner, if you're contract milking, etc. Your veterinarians, um, Dairy New Zealand, and in the case of if you're sheep, beef, deer, of course, the beef and lamb team. And please do remember, many organisations are there to help you out with advice and, and support, including but not limited to the Rural Support Trust, who are simply amazing. So do, you know, remember that there's groups of people to help you, that you're not totally here on your own on a lot of these challenges just now. And of course, there's a lot of very good information about dealing with the effects of floods on us as people, our teams, our families, uh, our animals and our crops, etc. on the Dairy New Zealand uh, website and the Beef and Lamb website as well. So what we'll do is we'll drop the links to find that information around getting through flood challenges in the text that supports this podcast um, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening in from. So in this podcast, what we'll do is we're going to start off with a range of flood-related topics and, as we said before, focusing on supplementary feeds that are affected by flood water. Firstly, we'll uh, just step through briefly what happens when floodwaters uh, hit your silage and baleage or hay or straw, essentially from the point of view of what happens to the nutrients within your stacks and bales of feed. Second up in this podcast, we'll talk about the risk of contaminants um, that may be carried along for the ride that get into or cover your supplementary feeds. Then we're going to move on to point number three around how to assess at the level of on-farm your flood or water damage, silage and baleage or dry supplements like hay or straw. And then we'll finish this podcast up with what we can potentially do with your uh, flood or water damaged baleage or silage or hay, etc. So we'll just work through some options there. 
As well, we'll toss in a quick discussion into the mix, I guess, with this podcast around possibly some of the animal health risks associated with feeding flood-damaged supplementary feeds. But as always, we do strongly recommend that this podcast does not replace the advice from your very own rural professionals, including your vet, or in the case of some of you with the recent flood events, of course, the advice of uh, your insurance assessors if they are indeed included. Now, part two of the two-part series that we'll upload after this part one is going to focus more on what's happening to our flood-damaged summer forage crops, or in fact your winter forage crops for this coming winter too, in some of these storm-affected regions. So if this is of interest to you, do uh, keep an eye out for part two that we'll be uploading reasonably soon. But in the meantime... Let's get this first podcast underway that covers floodwater damage to your supplementary feeds. Point number one we'll be talking about is essentially what happens when floodwaters hit silage, baleage, hay or straw. Well look, each of how floodwaters damage your various supplementary feeds will differ whether you've got ensiled feeds, in other words, that um, have undergone a pickling process, the likes of your silage or baleage, or in fact your drier feeds, you know, perhaps 85 to 90% dry matter or more, which is more likely the case for your hays or straws. Now, lots of things will influence, I guess, uh, the risks of water damage, but also the extent of water damage. And some of these factors include how long the stack or bales were flooded for, how deep the water was, especially for stacks, uh, silages as well, and of course the presence or absence in contaminants in the water that's come through. Now in the case of silage and baleage, physical attributes of the bales or stack themselves will influence the extent of damage. Now things such as the quality of the silage to start with, including the dry matter percent of the silage or baleage, how well the stack or bales were compacted. In other words, were they tightly compacted so it was hard for water to get into the stack or into the bales versus uh, more loosely compacted. The dry matter percent of the original stack, so was it very, very dry and therefore more like a sponge or did it go into the you know, silage went into the stack maybe at 28 to 30%, it's going to be less sponge-like because it was already quite wet. And the type of silage in the stack, so whether that's grass silage, maize silage, uh, leucine silage and the like. So there are many risk factors to do with the inherent quality and uh, state of packing, etc. of your stack that will influence risk around floodwater uh, inundation. And many of these are too numerous to list here. So obviously if you want very detailed input here, you're best to talk to your own farm consultant, nutritionist, veterinarian uh, or whoever. But let's look first at the risk of flood damage to silage and baleage. And what we're going to do now is essentially outline what happens if our stacks or bales of silage and baleage get flooded. First up, obviously, the inundation of water into your silage or baleage the first risk to that stack is that soluble nutrients can potentially be leached out of your stack or out of your bale from the silage or baleage itself. Now, when we talk about soluble nutrients, these are, of course, the good stuff in silage. So well-made silage contains lots of good nutrients uh, for your ruminant, whether that be sheep, uh, beef, uh, dairy cattle or deer, 
And these soluble nutrients include, for example, soluble protein that otherwise when it's eaten, the rumen will take that soluble protein or non-protein nitrogen, convert into microbial protein. As well in the stacks uh, that haven't been flood damaged, they'll contain potentially variable amounts of water-soluble carbohydrates or sugars. I'll just shorten that up to sugars for the sake of this podcast. In the case of whole crop cereal silage and maize silage, you will have starch present. And overall, the starch is not necessarily considered a soluble nutrient as such, but it's certainly part of the non-structural carbohydrates. And starch is less likely than water-soluble carbohydrates to be removed by floodwater. And then the final nutrient that we're interested in in terms of keeping your stack or bale stable from a fermentation point of view is one of the acids called lactic acid. Now this acid is soluble in water. It's a very strong acid. And if we got floodwaters coming through and the lactic acid is leached out, we end up with a reduction of the acidification of that stack. And it's more likely that that stack or bale will spoil. So yeah, protein, water-soluble carbohydrates and lactic acid are the soluble nutrients we risk losing from a stack. Starch tends to stay where it uh, is located because it's not water-soluble. So if we lose soluble nutrients, I guess from a bigger picture point of view, is if we lose these soluble nutrients as the floodwaters drain away from perhaps underneath your grass silage stack, we will lose those soluble nutrients as part of that leachate runoff. So that might be some discoloured, and if it ponds, even some blackish colour, very stinky runoff from, uh, for example, that grass silage stack. And that's an environmental concern, and clearly that will be probably on the radar from various regional councils as we get through these flooded periods. Aside from the environmental point of view, we're not dismissing that because, of course, uh, flow into waterways is really increasing soluble nutrients in waterways and more algae and that sort of thing. But from us and your animals and your point of view, the remaining non-soluble part of this flooded silage, so once the uh, the water-soluble carbs, the protein and the lactic acid have left, we end up being left with the non-soluble flooded parts of the silage that can in many cases be quite different uh, in terms of feed quality compared to the non-flooded silage or baleage. Now the way this works is firstly if we look at uh, the loss of uh, water-soluble protein, so it's not associated with the cell wall, and our soluble carbohydrates, our sugars, essentially fewer soluble nutrients left in our uh, silage post-flooding means an overall lower energy rating for your silage on a, a megajoules of metabolizable energy per kilogram dry matter and relatively higher levels of fiber expressed as on feed test both NDF neutral detergent fiber and ADF acid detergent fiber so if we feed test your silage before and after floodwater's gone through we'll find on average a lower ME higher fiber and a lower level of protein water-soluble carbohydrates and lactic acid. Now this lactic acid, we've already touched on this, but essentially in a well-made silage that has not been flood damaged, you'll recognise that lactic acid as that sharp yet kind of sweet bitey smell. 
that will typically give us a hint that it's a good quality silage. In other words, pre-flood that silage was well compacted, well made, good quality forage went in and it had lots of uh, the highly acidic lactic acid to preserve your stack. Now as we've mentioned, unfortunately water damage washes out that lactic acid and in the absence of that lactic acid, the pH on your stack of silage or perhaps baleage will be higher, so we've lost acid, so it's becoming more alkaline than it was pre-flood. So I guess as an example, if we come back to an example stack of grass silage, that might have been, uh, let's say, 4.2 or perhaps 4.3 pH on your feed tests, but it will potentially be quite a bit higher now, and we'll talk about some of the consequences of a higher pH on flood damaged silage. Essentially, without the lactic acid that's soluble and being washed out, in the presence of also too much water, because the dry matter percent will be lower on your stack than what it was pre-flood, and sadly in the absence of water-soluble carbohydrates to restart the fermentation in the stack, it's not like the stack can start fermenting again post-flood. It's unable to return back to a fermentable state to drop the the pH or the, the uh, increase the levels of acid back to how it was pre-flood. So unfortunately, and again, it's depending on the type of silage you have, the extent of flooding that we'll talk about shortly, and this is something where it's better to get this assessed on farm and not just take our word for a general discussion in this podcast, so please do get the right people in to help you on this. But unfortunately, we've got a wet stack, we don't have many sugars left, and the pH is high. Unfortunately, this stack, and again, depending on many factors, will potentially, we'll say potentially because it may not happen, it may start to deteriorate, uh, both in terms of quality, but also the stability of that stack over the coming days and weeks. Now, as the pH gets up into the high fours, if you'd like, 4.8, 4.9, 5.2, and certainly once it reaches a pH of 5.5 or higher, the stack is starting to get in trouble, or in the case of a bale of baleage, it's starting to get a bit of trouble. So the higher pH essentially means that we can get bacteria, uh, yeasts and moulds starting to grow in the stack that normally these uh, bacteria, yeasts and moulds wouldn't be able to grow at the lower pH that was present there before the flood damage got in. So it starts to grow again, and particularly if air can now get into the stack, so the edges of the stack or pit may have lifted with the floodwaters, or partial collapse of the stack may mean that now there's a, a layer of air or sweating underneath the stack between the stack and the cover. But the consequence of a higher than ideal pH and access to air uh, amplifies this concern will start to result in, in deterioration of your stack or bale, unfortunately. Now, something else to discuss with your vet is that when we get um, at higher pHs, and typically we use a, a, a cut point of sort of mid-5, so perhaps a pH of 5.5 or higher, the bacteria that start to grow or regrow in the stack sometimes will include one called listeria. And listeriosis is a condition that can cause things you may have heard of circling disease, due to microabscesses in the brain, but also a gastrointestinal version of 
listeriosis, so um, it's got localised inflammatory damage to the gut, or indeed, worst case scenario, abortion risk for cattle, but ewes as well, but presuming for these summer floods we don't have many in-lamb ewes around at the moment. So I'm just flagging that as a conversation to start with your veterinarian if you have concerns around the stability of your stack or bales uh, post-flooding. Other feed quality aspects around flood damaged silage and baleage and again the extent will be extremely variable but just what can sometimes be picked up either when you assess your silage yourself and we'll talk a little bit more about farm level assessment of flood damaged conserved forages is particularly for grass and lucerne silage is that we may get bacteria yeasts and fungi but bacteria breaking down some of the soluble proteins, so instead of it being leached out as the floodwaters recede, the bacteria start to convert protein that was otherwise plant protein that was stable in a well-managed stack, and we're starting to get the production of too much ammonia, and that can be expressed on feed test as a percent of total nitrogen in your stack or bale. So if you feed test post-flood and you see a lot of ammonia, that is suggestive the pH has gone up and the, and the bacteria have started to convert protein, uh, the nitrogen and the protein into ammonia. As well as that, sadly, as silage starts to deteriorate post-flood damage, we will get potentially an increased level of acetic acid, so that will smell like vinegar, and butyric acid. Now that one smells like a vomity smell, we'll talk more about that shortly. And essentially higher levels of acetic and butyric acid is what stock don't like the smell of, or the flavour, but a combination of smell and flavour. So aside from the fact we've lost soluble nutrients, we have higher fibre and less ME, there is a potential risk, depending on the extent of flood damage, that your stock are less likely to want to eat your flood damaged silage compared to the lovely quality that it was pre-flood. And that runs the risk of greater amounts of wastage when you feed out. And you may have to, if you're going to feed the silage out, uh, you may have to account for a greater extent of wastage in your feed budget and readjust your budgets through late summer into autumn and then into winter. Now, another aspect of what happens to a stack, sadly, that is affected by floodwaters is an overall loss of dry matter, just the guts of the stack. Now, this is due, as we said before, to the loss of soluble nutrients. So remember, that was um, essentially your protein, your water-soluble carbohydrates, and that lactic acid. Those, of course, contribute to the overall kilos or tons of dry matter in the stack. So when we wash our soluble nutrients out, not only are we changing the quality of your overall stack, we will have less dry matter left in your stack uh, than there was pre-floods. And this may also impact on your feed budgeting and planning, not only in the coming weeks, but also for the coming winter. So we'll talk more about that when we talk about the practicalities of standing back and looking at your stack and looking at your bales that may give some indicators that you have an overall loss of dry matter from your stacks or bales. Now moving on to point number two, floodwater, depending on whether 
the floodwaters rose very slowly and gently and then ran off again, or whether you are near a river where you actually had a strong flow of water coming through your conserved feeds, is that water under either of those situations, but particularly from perhaps a stop bank that's been breached on an adjacent river, clearly the water will potentially carry a lot of unwanted contaminants from upstream and we don't know where that water's been, whether it's run through someone else's uh, crop paddocks that were bare following summer crop that, that had already been grazed off through to... Oh gosh, you'd hope not, um, but perhaps an overflowing effluent pond despite everyone's best efforts to mitigate that. And, you know, full credit to everyone has additional capacity nowadays. It's a lot less common than it was back in the day. Uh, or perhaps water's washed through someone's crop they've just applied herbicide or pesticides to or whatever. Or in fact, you know, you've you've gone through an effluent area and perhaps brings, heaven forbid, things like yonis or lepto or other things onto the farm, but let's just say that flood water, for all the same reasons that for townies they say don't go swimming in it, because of potential contaminants. Now, that is very much going to depend on, you know, whether it was flowing water or whether it's just gently risen perhaps from streams on your own property, it just depends. But look, the sort of things we're thinking about for contaminants with silage and hay and straw or the like, first up, of course, the main and major one that we need to talk about is, is silt contamination or soil contamination, whichever way you want to think about it. Now clearly there's no such thing as clean silt or soil. Um, those of you soil science enthusiasts will be very quick to inform us that of course soil is not an inorganic thing. Instead uh, soil is very much a living ecosystem. So when we get silt and soil contamination we get all manner of things coming in with that uh, silt or soil. We get bacteria, uh, fungal spores, you name it. Uh, it's coming with that silt in and around uh, your stacks of silage or bales, either of hay, straw or baleage. From the animal health point of view, but also from the stack or bale stability point of view, the main types of contaminants that we don't like are the ones that we call bacillus species, and clostridial spores, well, bacillus and clostridial spores, that when we have your post-flood damaged higher pH silage, both bacillus and clostridia can grow very happily, particularly when the silage pH tests at, you know, 5.5 and above. And these uh, two families of bacteria do like those uh, 5 plus pH situations, and this will potentially cause what we call secondary fermentation. And the secondary fermentation from Bacillus and Clostridia will speed up, if you'd like, the deterioration of these water-damaged silage and bales. So whilst one week um, post-flooding we may have some deterioration, if that pH remains high, unfortunately this deterioration can go on uh, in a perpetual process for many weeks post-flood damage. So we'll talk about some of the implications for that. Now, in terms of uh, silt or soil contamination of hay, appreciating for many of you in these areas affected by flood, you may not have a lot of hay, it may be more baleage. But where we have hay, just a note compared to baleage, is that hay bales that are flood damaged uh, and, uh, and have a lot of silt through them, bringing bacillus and clostridial spores in, hay will be likely to go off or deteriorate more quickly compared to baleage 
because, of course, with hay, there's been no silage fermentation and hay will contain much higher levels of sugars and protein because hay was obviously conserved in a lovely, fresh, sweet-smelling state. So all those soluble nutrients in the hay could actually result in deterioration of hay happening faster than baleage, but lots of factors that uh, influence this. This is just a general comment. Now, as far as straw, those of you that purchase in straw post-harvest, whether that be barley straw, um, some of you, those of you with mixer wagons, it might be wheat straw or ryegrass straw from the lower North Island or even Canterbury, Straws will also go off with flood water contaminated with silt and soil, but the rate of deterioration for your straw may not be quite as fast as it is for hay, given that straw, obviously, as you know, contains fewer fermentable substrates or goodies, if you'd like, for bacteria uh, and fungi to grow on once they arrive as silt or soil. Now, what about faecal contamination from effluent ponds? As we said before, a lot of changes over the last 15 to 20 years have seen majority of you will have additional storage capacity to prevent overflow of effluent ponds and flood events. So we'll leave that aspect uh, behind. But look, it's, it's a given. Faecal contamination will bring in, obviously, faecal-associated bacteria such as coliforms, etc. And... The effluent, unfortunately, will also bring in additional nutrients over and above the fact it's bringing in a lot of microorganisms. And the additional nutrients, as uh, again, it's soluble nitrogen or protein uh, and, and sugars, will unfortunately hasten the rate of that secondary fermentation in your silage stack or bales or whatever. So if you see obvious evidence of effluent contamination, that's obviously a lot worse than just straight flood water carrying um, soil and, and silt. Now, other unwanted contaminants, looking around if it's on your farm and you know where the floodwaters have risen and then receded from, are of course looking for, oh gosh, furt bins, you know, have you washed a, a furt bin full of nitrogen out, um, any, you know, herbicide or pesticide chemicals that have spilt um, and those sorts of things, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, a good set of eyes to have a look around. Now, we promised before that we'd give you some, some, of, some of our thoughts, I guess, um, in terms of assessment of your own silage, baleage, hay or straw post-flood damage. And again, this is just some thoughts. And again, please don't take these thoughts as an alternative to the professional appraisal of your feeds and, and overall situation by a farm consultant or veterinarian, nutritionist, uh, or in some cases your insurance assessor. Some of the things we look at when we're looking at your potentially flood-damaged supplements. Once everything's safe, we're saying there's no point going out and having a look at anything to do with the supplementary feeds while things are risky. You keep yourself, your staff, your families uh, and your stock safe first and foremost. We really don't care so much about your supplementary feeds. We care about keeping everyone safe. That said, if floods have receded, there's no obvious hazards and you are now in the situation to assess your supplementary feeds, it's certainly time to assess just what's happening and what's gone where. So in the case of wrapped bales, so that may be baleage, uh, whatever is inside that bale, types of feed will vary widely. But essentially what we suggest first up is, is obviously just to run your hands uh, over the outside of the bale, feel if there's water between the bale and the plastic wrap or between the wrapped layers, 
Also looking at the tide mark, if you'd like, if your bales have stayed put, just getting a feel for how high up the side of the bale that's gone if they haven't uh, unfortunately floated. And what you might want to do um, once you've just done the, the overall bale wrap look at is to actually cut a couple of bales open. And like We don't like to, to break them open, but of course we need to have a look and just get a feel for what water may indeed have um, got inside or whether the tight baling and numerous layers of wrap have actually kept that balage in quite good order. So essentially um, looking at that and then we start to cut into a bale and we'll look uh, and talk more about what the balage should or shouldn't look like. On the other hand, if we're looking at stack or pit silage, obviously the, the ends or the edges of the stack or pit may well be oozing or running water uh, and or leachate. So obviously we're going to be having a look at that and we're going to be taking photos all the way along, particularly if you are going to be putting an insurance claim in. Then we want to open, I guess, the tail, if you'd like, the foot of, or the toe of the stack, or the pit, whichever you call it, and maybe get in there uh, with a bucket, probably easier than a grab, but a bucket, to remove silage, looking to see if you've got obvious leachate running out. Or, on the other hand, if you get a number of, um, like a metre or two into the base of a stack, it remains really well packed. Now, that's the best thing that we're looking for, particularly for a pit silage that's been very, very well packed. You may see there's a bit of leachate runoff, but the stack beyond it uh, is actually in good order. If you feel you've walked over, gently over the top of it and it still feels beautifully packed, you may not even want to open the base of the stack to have a look. Just leave it alone. But it's certainly, I guess from a curiosity point of view, you want to know what the stack's like further in. But unless you need to be feeding that silage today, it may be best uh, left alone. Again, that's a judgment based on what you're seeing and uh, your rural professional that you're having a look at the stack with. Don't be too sad and if it does look like there's quite a bit of stack damage because if it's just on the edges and you might and hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised that further in that stack may not be so badly affected. If you do take a little bit of a look further into the stack and you squeeze a handful of your silage, or in fact we've um, popped the, spring, the uh, strings on a couple of your bales now, and you give it the squeeze test, I guess, big handful of silage or baleage, not right on the edge where it's obviously involved in floodwaters. If we get a little bit further into the bale or the stack and you've got no moisture running out, that's kind of promising that the silage is still perhaps at no more than 70% moisture and just 30% dry matter. If there's absolutely no water ringing out, um, when you squeeze it, that's promising. It may be still reasonably dry. And depending on the presence or absence of contaminants, heaven forbid, worst case, effluent. Um, if you haven't got effluent and it's still well packed, that might still keep reasonably well into the autumn and coming winter. If, on the other hand, you get in there with a bucket, you back the tractor out and there's free water just pouring out and you you know, you go, you, you walk into the, uh, the face where you've um, taken the bucket load out and it's absolutely ringing wet, it's very obviously um, smelling of dairy shed effluent. It sounds like we've probably lost more soluble nutrients, plus or minus contaminants, and not only is that stack less likely to remain stable in terms of it's probably going to continue to deteriorate, we are also going to have a problem with leachate running off that stack or pit silage, and we're probably going to have to think about ideas to to keep um, this effluent from running into waterways. Hopefully your stack's well away from waterways anyway, but that becomes an environmental issue that um, the regional councils will probably start having a look at at some stage. 
In terms of visual and physical appraisal of hay and straw bales, well, unfortunately, these drier feeds tend more, as you know, because some of you may have laid it under wet silages over the years and that sort of thing. These feeds are more likely to act like sponges, kind of absorbing free water and, and flood water. And as a result, what went in is a reasonably light bale. It, you know, it might have been uh, big round hay bales at 550 kilos or something are going to be a lot heavier now because the bottom of that's probably absorbed a fair bit of water. Now, if you've got everything stacked in terms of hay and straw, same to be said for baleage, to be fair, it may just be the bottom bale, hopefully, that are water damaged. And as conditions get drier for you to get in with your tractor, you may be able to lift off and relocate your unscathed or your safe bales that have been okay up and out of the water. In terms of your relatively drier stacks of silage, baleage, hay or straw, we still, even if it doesn't look like you've got effluent through it, it doesn't look like there's a lot of water damage, maybe just a little bit, then we look at other aspects of that feed, like does it still look like normal silage, hay or straw? Or is it starting to change colour, uh, you know, mottling of brown, black colour? Now, that colour may be simply from silt, um, or it may be from, for example, some, some moulds and fungi starting to grow. And that's particularly true over the coming few weeks after the flood, maybe two to four weeks after the floodwaters have receded. And these discolorations are obviously indicating that the dry matter percent of your hay or straw is lower. Now, unfortunately, because these recent floods that have affected northern regions of New Zealand have, of, of course, occurred midsummer, the rate of deterioration of these very wet stacks or bales of hay and straw are obviously going to be faster than what we see during midwinter floods. So that does increase the rate of deterioration and probably increase the urgency once the floods have safely receded to make some decisions about around what to do with these feeds. So with hay and straw and possibly baleage and silage, depending on the types they are and the chop length and how well they were stacked, etc., again, these few weeks post-floods, we do need to look very closely um, at growth of um, or discoloration that are indicative of uh, yeasts and moulds. Now, these may be all manner of colours, unfortunately. They could be grey, white, even black uh, and even pink moulds. And so you do need to be careful, I guess, just as a health and safety issue here around everything else to do handling floodwaters. So we assume everything's contaminated for our well-being, so we don't want to take gastrointestinal diseases and things home to, you know, kids and family. So obviously we're going to be super careful about handling anything out of the floodwaters, you know, good personal hygiene, washing up, clothes through the wash and, and everything. But Coming onto these yeasts and moulds, we do need to be careful when you are breaking open water damage stacks, you know, perhaps with your insurance assessor or your farm consultant. Just watch out for respiratory inhalation of spores off these mould and yeast damage uh, stacks. So it may be relevant to put on the appropriate mask. This is just a risk of us inhaling the, the spores, a point to be careful about, about around this. Now, in terms of the yeasts and moulds, apart from potential risk to our health and well-being, what about our sheep, cattle, deer? Well, to be honest with you, and you you know this stuff, you've seen this over a lifetime of, of working with stockers, they're probably not going to want to eat these yeast and mould infected post-flood damaged feeds. And 
left alone, they'll probably eat around them. Um, but if we were to push them a bit, and this is obviously a personal decision about how hard you want to push them, particularly if it's a class of stock that are um, not pregnant, we still need to be careful, even with non-pregnant stock classes, is that um, these moulds can still be potentially dangerous to animal well-being. Now, the most common one, and obviously I've already alluded to this, is fungal abortion in cattle particularly. And unfortunately, this is quite a common risk um, for cattle, particularly in that sort of to the middle third part of pregnancy, that it can cause abortion. So we've got to be careful with that and talk to your vet in more detail if you are worried or if you've had a couple of abortions or slips post-flood. It may just have been stress associated with the flooding, but just watch it with some any of the yeasts and moulds. Now, just because there's yeasts and moulds present doesn't guarantee that you'll have problems with abortion, but it does increase risk that could well happen. And sadly for some cows, they'll not only abort, but quite often um, they'll succumb to other uh, fungi-associated illnesses such um, as fungal pneumonia. That's really, really quite a nasty illness. So yeah, do have a look at these mouldy ones. Consider the risk. If you must feed it to someone, just consider the stock class that's least vulnerable and obviously our uh, middle third to late third of pregnancy are our greatest risk. And in the in case of summer floods, that obviously is going to be our autumn calving dairy cows this year. Notwithstanding that some of you that may be calving in July, the spring calving herds, some of those are getting into the risky period for fungal abortion as well. But please talk to your very own veterinarian. Don't just take the advice from a podcast such as this. What else are we seeing when we visually appraise silage, baleage, hay or straw? Well, let's talk first about your silage stacks. Now, with the dry matter percent of particularly the bottom of the stack potentially being lower than what it was pre-flooding, we might start to see, I guess, we call it sweating under the cover um, of the stack, you know, between the top of the stack or the inside of the bales for that matter, uh, and the plastic. Now that again is more likely to occur over the coming weeks with spoilage associated with flood damage to, uh, to your silage or baleage. Now this isn't necessarily related to severely flooded stacks, you know, that were halfway up the stack. It may be just the bottom of the stack, but obviously as uh, we get fermentation and decomposition of the bottom of the stack that was underwater, the bacteria under and well, fungi and moulds undertaking secondary fermentation of the soluble nutrients, the byproduct of that fermentation is carbon dioxide and water. Now, the water that's released during the respiratory process of the bacteria and fungi and whatnot breaking down soluble nutrients in your stack can increase risk of sweating under the cover. Um, so it's just something to keep an eye on that the water under the cover and therefore the spoilage on the top of the stack under the cover that's well away from where the flood water was may start to increase as well. So just keep an eye on that. We mentioned before about this loss of soluble nutrients and how it contributes to a loss of dry matter. Now, First up, that's uh, leaching at, through the leachate or effluent, loss of soluble nutrients from the base of a stack or part of the bale. But again, this respiratory loss, this conversion of soluble carbohydrates and protein into carbon dioxide and water, mean that the stack or bale starts to literally, in the case of a stack, starts to drop in height. So what was a beautifully stacked 
tyres thrown stack um, may start to drop and you think, my goodness me, that was it's, it's, it's like got a flat area on top now. Or in the case uh, of a bunker with sides on it, you'll see a tide mark as it t- stop, the top's dropping down. And a sag, I suppose, starts to form on top of the stack and catches a bit of rainwater and whatnot up top. So that's a flag for your stack, either in a bunker or out in the paddock. And similarly for your baleage, if you've got ongoing decomposition or spoiling of the stack, you may may have been an enthusiast who's placed your bales beautifully in, a, in your stack of baleage and everything was precision and, and you know those are the stacks we all smile at and are very proud of when you drive past and see them all in a lovely row. And sadly, if you start to see the, the bales starting to move around, particularly the top bales starting to sag on the bottom bales as the bottom ones kind of go literally pear-shaped, that's indicating we've got a, a decomposition problem potentially going on and it's worth having a look at that. What about the odour or the smell? We've talked about the visual appraisal. Now we go on to putting your nose into a sample of silage or baleage or perhaps some water-damaged hay um, that you've broken a a, um, bale open and you're having a look at. What we're looking to do is have a good smell of the stack, but again, be careful on our moisture-damaged dry feeds such as hay or straw just for any spores coming off that so you might want to put a mask on that reduces the ability to give it a good uh, sniff but just be careful for your respiratory well-being but let's say and we mentioned this before your silage or baleage now we would put our nose into this and what we're sniffing for is the presence of that lovely sweet yet sharp smell of lactic acid now remember that's a strong acid It's water-soluble, so if you've had a lot of water damage, the lactic acid will be gone or much lower. So if you don't get a nice, um, pleasant, sharp acid smell, your lactic acid may have disappeared. The only way to define that quantitatively is to get a feed sample. Or more worryingly, if you get a real whiff of ammonia, that's like the protein has been broken down to non-protein nitrogen compounds, including but not limited to ammonia, And that ammonia smell, well, again, it's a sharp smell. I find it kind of gets you in the back of the throat almost, quite an overpowering smell, particularly if you're seeing a lot of blackening of the silage as well. I'd be worrying about protein um, breakdown. Or the vomit smell we mentioned before, which is indicative of butyric acid. Now, that vomity smell which is really quite unpleasant, and that's the stuff that gets stuck in your skin. You know, you just can't get that horrible smell off your um, hands or arms. Now, that's vomit smell, the butyric acid, is a concerning one because that really suggests that the stack is starting to decompose or really really to break down. Now, immediately after the flood, it could well be too early to detect this vomit or butyric acid smell, but you're more likely to be looking out or more appropriately smelling for that smell over the coming weeks as floodwaters have receded and that stack is starting to sit there with a high pH and not many soluble nutrients left and starting to get the secondary uh, fermentations that are damaging the stack further. Now, of course, flood-damaged hay and straw, you, you all know what a lovely, fresh, summery smell of, of fresh-cut hay and indeed something like barley straw that really smells beautiful. It'll have that unmistakable smell of um, of deterioration going on. That we don't need to even describe that. You know what it's like. While we've got the the sniff um, sense engaged, I guess is is obviously just to get a really good smell of what you're picking up. 
particularly in that first day or two post-flooding, if it is safe for you to have a look around things. Um, but of course, put your safety first, please. But what we're, I guess we're thinking about, is there any evidence of, of a strong smell of effluent um, that's come diluted down in river water, for example, from someone upstream, and, and if that's got into your supplementary feeds. So we're on to point number four, and we've done a lot of, well, that's fairly academic and, and whatnot, an assessment of your damaged stacks or bales. What are we going to do with these? Now, again, yet another disclaimer, we can't give you any advice about what to do with your flood damaged stacks or bales because everyone who's listening will have a completely different set of circumstances between properties, even within your same property. If you've got some terraced areas that are fine versus some um, you know, river flats that aren't fine, and even between different stacks or bales or lines of bales within the same property, there's just such an array of locality of these types of floodwaters, how the floodwaters have run through or just gently seeped in, um, the extent of damage, and of course, whether you're going to be working through this uh, from an insurance cover point of view, and, and, and I hope that most of you have got at least some insurance cover to work with this. So that will be very much in the hands of your assessor and not reliant on a, on a, a random podcast of this nature. So look, because of this, we're not going to give you any specific advice for you in terms of what you should do now with your supplementary feeds but rather I'd suggest that you put this on the list like when your brain's really full and you're feeling a bit overwhelmed if you're not up to assessing your own baleage and silage you've got stock work that takes priority you've got getting the shed sorted if you're unable to get cows to and from the shed do all that first but put this on a list like remember to make lists in, in times like this and just put that you want Whoever it is, your farm consultant, your rural merchant rep might be able to come out and help you assess your bales. Or if you have insurance, then very, very much be talking to your insurance company. Put it on your list of things that need to be followed up uh, with that awareness that the deterioration of the stacks or baleage may be ongoing in those weeks after the flood has been and gone. Now, if your feeds have been assessed or if you're at the hopefully the lesser end of, of being affected by the recent floods. Something to think about, and it's going to be very dependent on your feed budget in terms of what your animals require today versus what you're able to feed them. Now, if you do need to be feeding out, uh, for example, if you've still got some areas underwater and you do need to feed out, one key option with uh, moderate damage to silages, to baleage or to hay, is to start feeding the worst affected uh, silage or hay now, but clearly only if you have a requirement to do so. We don't want you to feed these feeds out and then uh, accrue a, a massive pasture surplus and then that pasture is wasted. So yeah, very much dependent on your latest feed budget. Again, if you are so busy dealing with the stuff that needs uh, fixing today, tomorrow and next week, get your farm consultant and uh, get Dairy NZ and get Beef and Lamb and get your support network around you and just ask someone please to update your feed budget for you. Don't be afraid to ask for help and if you're at the point you're not feeling like being able to make a decision or to even make a list, um, obviously Rural Support Trust and others are very much there for you to put you in touch with rural professionals to be able to help you with this stuff. But decisions around feeding out because the stuff's going to go off if we leave it for much longer needs to fit in with an updated feed budget and preferably someone to do a farm walk for you um, if you're not in the position to really be able to do that yourself. Because we are in mid to late summer now, the spoilage will continue 
and we do need someone to open the stacks and bales, as I've already described, put the nose in, squeeze it, look at it, get it feed tested, if in doubt. So, yeah, if it's reasonably recent and you do need to be feeding out some of your bales now, they may be missing soluble nutrients, have a bit of um, soil or silt contamination, but we may not yet have had the secondary fermentation associated with soil or silt infiltrated silage or baleage. So, kind of you could get stuck in and feed it out now. The option two, I guess, is that we save our baleage or silage for later, as if the floods had never occurred. And if you've assessed your bales and stack and you think there's a bit of water damage, but I tell you what, they're still tightly compacted, a little bit of cosmetic damage and the actual stack itself looks good, then it's just business as usual. But um, if in doubt or you don't have the confidence or, to be honest, just the capacity to make those decisions right now, get someone in you know, problem shared is a problem solved um, and certainly helped along the way. You're not having to do this on your own. Now, in terms of baleage, the water tightness, as we said before, is really variable to the point often bales will float because they're relatively watertight and severe floods. And on that basis, they may actually be quite good inside. So it could be that those that you've cut a couple open and they look relatively normal inside would kind of probably label, you either get that written down or you um, spray mark it with spray paint that those are the better ones versus some that are a bit lower down in the paddock and have um, been more badly damaged it could be fed earlier versus the other stuff. If it looks pretty good it'll get through into the winter. We've talked about visual assessment of feed and, and obviously the, the gold standard is to feed test. Uh, it'll give you a lot of numbers that your nutritionist, farm consultant, vet can help you assess and look at what things are doing just now. But remember, if they are quite badly water damaged, you probably want to assess them in another four to six weeks' time, core some bales, core a stack, and recheck them, particularly if on the first test they were quite low in dry matter, high in ammonia, low in lactic acid. There's a chance that those will continue to deteriorate, so you want to check how they're doing in another uh, uh, four to six weeks' time. Obviously, when you do send some samples away, if you are going to go this way, which is not for everyone, and that's fine, what you want to do is when you send your silage or baleage samples, send them to a lab that's able to offer you not only the full spectrum of feed testing, but also the individual silage acids that are acetic acid, butyric acid, in addition to the standard lactic acid, because the three acids together, acetic acid, butyric acid and lactic, will give you a much better overview of the stability of that stack that's occurred post-flood. But remember, test now, get a feel for what it's like, and then test again, perhaps four to six or even eight weeks' time, if there's moderate water damage, just to see that we haven't got an ongoing secondary fermentation happening there. Point number five we're up to now. What are some other things, just sort of heading towards the end of this podcast now? It's to do with the animal health and well-being. Now, again, your veterinarian, farm consultant, nutritionist and your other support team around you are here to help you with animal health and well-being. Clearly, the number one thing is keeping yourself well, your animals well, hopefully being able to milk your lactating cows and everything to do with the broader well-being of your cows. If we bring this down to just a, a topic, a subtopic if you'd like, within animal well-being, and we're talking about the nutrition or animal health risks associated with the flooding event itself, to do with the feed particularly, the main stock class we're most interested in at this moment in time in late summer from summer floods 
is any of you that have autumn calving dairy cows who are quite heavily in calf at this time of year and thinking about coming towards calving. Now clearly from a, a physiological point of view these are our most vulnerable cows and these are the ones that we need to work very hard to take the stress levels off them, keep them feeling loved, um, not put in inverted periods of stress, easier said than done when if you've got quite a bit of area underwater. But as far as the nutrition, these girls are the ones we've got to be very careful about feeding spoiled silage, hay and or straw, not only to your mixed age in calf cows, but of course our R2s if they are home or if indeed they're away somewhere else where they've been affected by flooding. We've already mentioned about the risk of abortion uh, and other things, but do talk to your, uh, your veterinarian about that. We've talked about the importance of the subjective assessment of silage and baleage and hay, as well as feed testing, because at least you know that we can measure for some of the risk things that we want to know about. As well, we mentioned if you're calving quite early, then clearly we need to be taking an increasing uh, risk management process look at those early calving, spring calving cows, because of course they're heading towards the stage of pregnancy that we might end up with some fungal abortions if they are eating stuff that they shouldn't post-flood damage. Now, in terms of other stock classes that maybe have less vulnerable stock classes than mid to late gestation uh, cows in the case of dairy cattle, if you do decide to try feeding um, flooded supplementary feeds to stock, as we've mentioned briefly previously, don't expect them to utilise these flood damaged feeds very well. Instead, what you want to do is let them pick through what they want of it. Now in baleage, for example, it may be that the the outer part of the bale is quite severely damaged and affected, but the inside's absolutely perfect. The difficulty here is if we have a side feed wagon, for example, or a mixer wagon, Sure, we can drop a whole bale in, um, you know, if you've got a vertical mixer or from your stack, we can just mix it all in and throw it in together. Now, clearly that's not ideal because if we've got things like high acetate and high butyrate, all we're going to do is mix your deteriorating um, flood damage forages through with the unaffected cleaner stuff. And what you can end up doing is having stock rejecting that whole mix or whole silage wagon load by not allowing them to select that out. So with that, we could end up making them eat something they don't want to and what otherwise could be quite bad for them health-wise. So in the case of a stack or a pit, what you want to be doing is trying to dig out the worst of the damaged silage in that stack or pit until you get through to the cleaner, well-compacted stuff that looks safer to you based on your appraisal of that silage as you get further into the stack. Otherwise, if you're feeding out a bale feeder on the ground, clearly when you start feeding that out, you're probably going to have the outer part of the bale first and then as you carry on down the paddock feeding out, you're going to get to the cleaner stuff further on. And the main thing is, is just to accept that if cows or any stock class um, could, be, could be used that you're feeding out to, heading to the ram in the autumn, we just don't want to force them to eat the stuff that they've happily rejected. Now we talked about the risks of yeasts and moulds in flood damaged feed and that was with regard to the risk of fungal abortion and fungal pneumonia. Now along with fungi we haven't yet talked about the risk of mycotoxins. So mycotoxins are a real mixture of chemicals that are produced by fungi that contaminate our feed. Now again we can't see mycotoxins, you may have fungal damage present and, and you can see yeasts and moulds that have discoloured everything. 
the difficulty with mycotoxins, uh, the, the bad chemicals that, that hurt the animals, just because you've got fungi there doesn't guarantee that you have mycotoxins, but which is good. But unfortunately, the other way around is true. Sometimes you may not visually see fungi and yeasts in your flood-damaged baleage or silage or hay, and yet ironically there are mycotoxins there. So the two aren't one and the same. You can't say just because your flood-damaged feed's got no obvious fungi growing, you may still have mycotoxins and vice versa. You may have fungi there but no mycotoxins. So... Another approach, uh, if you've got some moderately damaged feed, there's not a lot to be seen, is that you talk to your veterinarian, to your nutritionist, to your rural merchant about the options to, to look at a range of mycotoxin binder products that are available in the market. But first and foremost, there's a range of products, not all of which may necessarily be ideal for the mycotoxins you're targeting. That's why you want to talk to a qualified rural professional to help you around decisions. And the other thing, even if you have got the right type of binder to match up with the type of toxins we suspect are present in your silage or hay or straw, is that if, and this is to be fair to your rural professional, if you've selected the right product at the right um, addition rate, that you've got some way of mixing it adequately with your fees, and I guess this is more to do with mixer wagon people or someone who's able or prepared to do a good mix within a side feed silage wagon, is that even if you do get adequate mixing of this product in with your silage or baleage, um, or indeed through in-shed feeding so that they've got it going into the room and at a similar time as they're eating the forage, if you've got a heavy load of mycotoxins, even the best products can't single-handedly make that silage absolutely definitively safe. However, a high-quality mycotoxin binder will potentially lessen the risk for stock. So here, here at the Room and Room podcast, we're not going to endorse any single um, mycotoxin binder product. Rather, I would ask you to talk to your trusted rural professional, your rural advisor, and with the supplier of a product recommended to be backed up with claims that the manufacturer of the product or the salesperson might make around the suitability of that product for you. Right, that's us. We're wrapping up this podcast now. Just a final reminder, please, that first and foremost, before we start talking about flood damage, feeds, etc., please do keep yourself and your family and your friends safe at all times through any flood event. This feed stuff, you can you can deal to it when the floodwaters are receding and sort it. Just look after yourselves first. Second, I guess, final reminder here is that like any podcast or anything on social media, etc. The information here is only of a very generic uh, nature, a very general nature, and that your first point of contact with your farm-specific advice just for you is with your consultant, farm owner in the case of perhaps contract milking or share milking, veterinarian, Dairy NZ, beef and lamb, and of course, your friends and family. Obviously, it'll probably be you supporting them and they're supporting you, but just the local knowledge of neighbours and everyone. Just, just pull in the team to help you get through this. So, hey, this has been Charlotte Westwood uh, from PGG Rights and Seeds. We're signing off on this podcast now, hoping you get the support you need from those around you. In the meantime, look, do take care and stay safe. If you found this podcast even to be a little bit helpful to you, look, please do um, tune in for part two 
that we hope to get recorded and uploaded as soon as we can. And part two of this flooding podcast is going to cover issues around flooded summer forage crops. So it's specific to forage crops, in other words, the ones we graze in the ground, the brassicas, chicory, plantain and the like. So we're going to cover off some of the thoughts that we'd like to share with you around that. And then the final point, if this podcast has been helpful to you, you know, let, let your friends and family know about this podcast and part two that's coming up shortly too, if you think it may be useful for them and uh, also. But hey, look, in the meantime, do look after yourselves, lean on people uh, for support. You don't have to do this on your own through this flood time. Take care out there and we'll catch up soon. Cheers. Cheers.